I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, uh, guess I'm not going to try and think up a new intro. I just keep talking about my uh, week, but it's the last uh, few episodes I've had a few things happen. One, my adorably small basement window that I just like to sit and drink a beer and stare out of into the neighbor's house. I love that. It's a good Halloween theme. Give gives the neighbors something to get scared of during this month. Uh, second, uh, I got laid off. So my dumb job decided to lay off 900 people from the company. And I thought, oh, that's a pretty high number. I wonder if it's going to affect me. And they said, uh, the people affected are going to get an email between uh, 1030 and 1130. And then I got an email inviting me to a super secret meeting. And I thought, oh, crap, that's it. I'm getting laid off. And everyone else said, oh, there's a chance he might not. And I thought, that seems silly. It seems like it's a for sure thing. But I've been wrong about stuff before. So I sign on to the meeting. And, uh, of course, the person who's doing it is like 10 minutes late. And then it's this guy who's the head of all of IT. And I've never really seen him before. But, man, did he not look good. He looked sort of like uh, the South Park character that winds up hacking into World of Warcraft. He's just sort of looks lazy and he's slumped over his chair and he's kind of staring blankly at the, at the camera. Actually at the computer screen because he was reading a pre-prepared uh, statement about how everyone that's in this meeting is getting laid off. And uh, sorry, and we have a bold new vision for the future of our company, which of course all of us don't care about. And then uh, basically said, we're not taking any questions. Uh, thank you. And then signed off. And I th you could see he's reading it. And I thought, boy, this was really insulting. But we also got another email for a second follow-up meeting. And I thought, okay, weird. Uh, maybe this is just going to be information about health insurance or something. Nope. It turns out that um, apparently they were supposed to break the group into two, but they didn't. They just gave everyone both invites. So all of us sign on to the next one, and uh, we all get laid off again. Eerily in the exact same manner. I found out later, he pre-recorded it. <laughs> and then, like any Harry Potter story, casting a spell, just sent the message out to the masses, and all of us are magically laid off. So, uh, it didn't even do it in person. I wouldn't have, the way he was looking, uh, like he had the meat sweats... I would have been surprised if he just suddenly pulled up a sub sandwich and started eating it right in the middle of the, the message. Just silly. Uh, it's like something out of a bad corporate movie, uh, but it happened in real life. And uh, after that, everyone said, how come I just got laid off twice? That was a lot of emails going around. And uh, their response was, talk to your manager. Uh, we're not taking any questions. And they didn't take any questions the whole time. 
So that's my life. Why don't we uh, dive into our story? To cheer me, uh, cheer myself up. We're gonna read a scary story. Uh, we're gonna read the haunted and the haunters, or the house and the brain. So you know, if it's got two titles, it's gonna be good. By Sir Edward Bolter Lytton. Let's learn a little bit about George uh, Edward George Earl Lytton Bulwer Lytton, the first Baron Lytton. <laughs> he was born the 25th of May, 1803, and died the 18th of January, 1873. He was an English writer and politician. He served as a Whig member of Parliament from 1831 to 1841, and a Conservative uh, from 1851 to 1866. He was a Secretary of State uh, for the Colonies from June 1858 to June 1859, choosing Richard Clement Moody uh, as founder of British Columbia. He declined the crown of Greece in 1862 after King Otto abdicated. That's interesting. And he was created Baron Lytton of Nebenworth. Nebworth in 1866. So, this is going to be a great story, I can tell already. Uh, his marriage to the writer Rosina Bulwer Lytton broke down and her detention in an insane asylum provoked a public outcry. Bulwer Lytton's work sold and paid him well, and he coined the phrases the great unwashed and uh, the pursuit of the almighty dollar and uh, the pen is mightier than the sword and dweller on threshold and uh, the opening phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. Yet his standing declined and he is little read today. The sardonic Bulwer Lytton fiction contest uh, held annually since 1982 claims to seek the opening sentence of the worst of all possible novels. So let's read a little bit about the competition that they have uh, every year, apparently. Bulwer Lytton's name lives on in the annual Bulwer Lytton Fiction Contest, in which contestants think up terrible openings for imaginary novels, inspired by the first line of his 1830 novel, uh, Paul Clifford. Uh, the line being, It was a dark and stormy night. Oh, the rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by violent gust of wind which swept up the streets. For it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Entrants to the contest seek to capture the rapid changes in point of view, the florid language, and the atmosphere of the full sentence. Uh, the opening was popularized by the Peanuts comic strip in which Snoopy's sessions on the typewriter usually began with, It was a dark and stormy night. The same words also uh, form the first sentence of Madeleine Engel's Newbery Media winning novel, A Wrinkle in Time. Similar wording appears in Edgar Allan Poe's 1831 short story, The Bargain Lost, although not at the very beginning. It reads, It was a dark and stormy night. Uh, the rain fell in cataracts. The drowsy citizens started from dreams of the deluge to gaze upon the boisterous sea, which foamed and bellowed for admittance upon the proud towers of the marble palaces. Who would have thought of a passion so fierce in that calm water that slumbers all day long? 
At a slight alabaster stand, trembling beneath the ponderous tomes which it supported, sat the hero of our story. Yeah, that is pretty bad. Well, with that, let's uh, dive into the story. The Haunted and the Haunters, or The House in the Brain, by Sir Edward Bulwer-Lytton. A friend of mine, who was a man of letters and a philosopher, said to me one day, as if between jest and earnest, Fancy! Think we last met I have discovered a haunted house in the midst of London. Uh, Really? Haunted? And by what? Ghosts? Well, I can't answer these questions. All I know is this. Six weeks ago, I and my wife were in search of a first apartment. And passing a quiet street, we saw on the window of one of the houses a bill. Apartments furnished. And the situation suited us. And we entered the house. At, like the rooms, engaged in them by the week and, and left them by the third day. No power on earth could have reconciled my wife to stay longer. And I don't wonder at it. Uh, what did you see? Excuse me. I have no desire to be ridiculed as a superstitious dreamer, nor, on the other hand, could I ask you to accept on my affirmation uh, what you would hold to be incredible without the evidence of your own senses. Uh, Let me only say this. It was not so much what we saw or heard, parentheses, in which you might say fairly suppose that we were the dupes of our own excited fancy or the victims of imposture and others, uh, that drove us away. It was an inevitable terror which seized both of us whenever we passed by the door of a certain unfurnished room, in which we neither saw nor heard anything. And the strangest marvel of all was that for once in my life, I agreed with my wife. (laughs) Sexist. Silly woman, (laughs) though she may be. And allowed, after the third night, that it was impossible to stay a fourth in that house. I just love that that whole thing was pockmarked with just insulting this woman. (laughs) Accordingly, on the fourth morning, I summoned the woman who kept the house uh, and attended on us and uh, told her that the rooms did not mm -hmm, quite suit us and that we should not stay out our week. She said dryly, I know why. You've stayed longer than any other lodger. If you ever stayed a second night, none before you, a third. But I take it they've been very kind to you. Uh, they who, I asked, uh, affecting a smile. Why, they who haunt the house. Whoever they are, oh, I don't mind them. I remember them many years ago when I lived in this house, uh, not as a servant. But I know they will be the death of me someday. I don't care. I'm old. It must die soon anyhow. And then I shall be with them in this house still. Yeah, the woman spoke it such dreary calmness that it really was a sort of awe that prevented my conversing with her farther. Uh, I paid for my weekend, was too happy uh, were I my wife to get off so cheaply. Ah, you excite my curiosity, said I. Nothing I should like better than to sleep in a haunted house. Eh, pray, give me the address of the one in which you left so ignominiously. (laughs) My friend gave me the address, and when we parted, I walked straight toward the house, thus Indicated. Now, it's situated on the north side of Oxford Street, in a dull but respectable thoroughfare. I found the house shut up, but no bill at the window, and no response to my knock. As I was turning away, a beer boy collecting pewter pots at the neighboring area. They just have little boys carrying beer around. Wow, that's a neighborhood. 
said to me, uh, do you want anyone in that house, sir? Yes, I heard it was to let. Let? Why, the woman who kept it is dead. It has been dead for three weeks. And no one can be found to stay there, though Mr. J dash... Oh, it's that thing again, where they just do the first letter and then a big dash, because I guess they're too lazy to think up names. There's really no reason to make a character in a fiction anonymous. Uh, offered ever so much. Uh, he offered mother... who Chars for him. A pound a week. Uh, just to open and shut the windows. And she would not. Uh, would not? And why? Uh, the house is haunted. And the old woman who kept it was found dead in her bed with her eyes wide open. Oh, they said the devil strangled her. Pooh! Exclamation point. You speak of Mr. J. Dash. Is he the uh, owner of the house? Yes. Where does he live? In G-Street, number dash. <laughs> God. You don't. It's a fic. I'll never understand this trend. You see this in old books. It's, a, it's fiction. You don't have to make it all anonymous. What is he? Uh, in any business? No, sir. Nothing particular. Uh, a single gentleman. I gave the pot boy the gratuity earned by his liberal information and proceeded to Mr. J-Dash in G-Dash Street, <laughs> which was close by the house that boasted uh, the haunted house. I was lucky enough to find Mr. J-Dash at home, uh, an elderly man with intelligent countenance and prepossessing manners. Hmm. I communicated my name and my business, frankly. I said I heard the house was considered to be haunted, uh, that I had a strong desire to examine a house uh, with so equivocal a reputation that I should be greatly obliged if he would allow me to hire it. Yeah, only for a night, and I was willing to pay for that privilege, whatever he might be inclined to ask. Sir, said Mr. J. Dash, with great courtesy, the house is at your service for as short or as long a time as you please. Rent is out of the question. The obligation will be on my side should you be able to discover the cause of the strange phenomena, which at present deprives it of all value. I cannot let it, for I cannot even get a servant to keep it in order or answer the door. Luckily, the house is haunted, uh, if I may use that expression, <laughs> not only by night, but by day. Though at night the uh, disturbances are more unpleasant and sometimes of a more alarming character. The poor old woman who died in it three weeks ago was a pauper whom I took out of a workhouse, for in her childhood she had been known to some of my family and had once been in such good circumstance that she had rented that house of my uncle. She was a woman of superior education and strong mind. Oh, well, that, that was less sexist. And was the only person I could ever induce to remain in the house. <clears throat> Indeed, since her death, which was sudden, and the coroner's inquest, which gave it an notoriety to the neighborhood, I have so despaired of finding any person to take charge of it, much more a tenant, uh, that I would willingly let it uh, rent free for a year to anyone who would pay its rates and taxes. How long is it uh, since the house acquired this sinister character? That I can scarcely tell you, but very many years since, the old woman I spoke of said it was haunted uh, when she rented it between 30 and 40 years ago. The fact is that my life has been spent in the East Indies and in the civil service of the company. 
I returned to England last year, on inheriting the fortune of an uncle, <laughs> amongst whom possessions of the house in question. I found it shut up and uninhabited. I was told that it was haunted and that no one would inhabit it, and I, I smiled. It would seem to be so idle a story. I spent some money uh, repainting it and roofing it and added to its old-fashioned furniture a few modern articles, advertised it, and obtained a lodger for a year. It's a colonel uh, retired on half pay. He came into this family, a son and a daughter, and four or five servants. They all left the house the next day, and although they deponed that uh, they had all seen something different, well, that really was equally terrible to all, I really could not in conscience sue or even blame the colonel for breach of agreement. God, this guy talks a lot. Then I put the old woman I have spoken of, and she was empowered to let the house in apartments. I never had one lodger who stayed more than three days. I do not tell you their stories. Two no, oh, two no two lodgers. T-O-No-T-W-O. Two no two lodgers have been there exactly the same phenomenon repeated. Uh, it is better that you should judge for yourself than enter the house with an imagination influenced by previous narratives. Only be prepared to see and to hear something or other and take whatever precautions uh, you yourself please. Have you ever had a curiosity yourself uh, to pass the night in that house? Yes! I passed it, not a night, but three hours of broad daylight alone in that house. My curiosity eh, is not satisfied, but it is quenched. I have no desire to renew the experiment. You cannot complain. You see, uh, sir, that I am not sufficiently candid, and unless your interests be exceedingly eager and your nerves unusually strong, I honestly add that I advise you not to pass a night in that house. <laughs> eh, yeah, my interest is... Is exceedingly keen, said I, and though only a coward uh, will boast of his nerves in situations wholly unfamiliar to him, yet my nerves have been seasoned in such variety of danger that I have the right to rely on them, even in a haunted house. Mr. J said very little more. I took the keys of the house out of the bureau and gave them to me, and thanking him cordially for his frankness and his urbane concession to my wish, I carried off my prize. Impatient for the experiment? As soon as I reached home, I summoned my confidential servant, a young man of gay spirits, fearless temper, and as free from superstitious prejudice as anyone I could think of. F-dash, said I. You remember uh, uh, Germany? How disappointed we were at not finding a ghost in that old castle, uh, which was said to be haunted by a uh, headless apparition? Well, I have heard of a house in London, which I have reason to hope is decidedly haunted. I mean to sleep there two-dash night. From what I hear, there is no doubt that something will allow itself to be seen or to be heard. Something perhaps excessively horrible. Do you think, mm, if I take you with me, uh, I may rely on your presence of mind, whatever may happen? Oh, sir, <laughs> pray trust me, answered F-Dash, grinning with delight. Very well, then here are the keys of the house. This is the address, go now. Select for me any bedroom you please, and since the house has not been uh, inhabited for weeks, uh, make up a good fire. Air the bed well. See, of course, that there are candles as well as fuel. Uh, take with you 
my revolver, and my dagger. <laughs> so much for my weapons. Why a dagger? Arm yourself equally well, and if we are not a match for a dozen ghosts, we shall be but a sorry couple of Englishmen. I was engaged for the rest of the day on business so urgent that I had not leisure to think much on nocturnal adventure to uh, which I had plighted my honor. I dined alone. Ah, very late. And while dining, eh, read as is my habit. Oh, so he's one of those weirdos that dine by themselves and read books in a restaurant. The volume I selected was one of Macaulay's essays. I thought to myself that I would take the book with me. There was, uh, ooh, so much of heartfulness in the style, the practical life of the subjects that it would serve as an antidote against the influences of superstitious fancy. Accordingly, uh, about half past nine, I put the book into my pocket and strolled leisurely toward the haunted house. I took with me a favorite dog, an exceedingly sharp Bold and vigilant bull terrier, a dog fond of prowling about strange uh, ghostly corridors and passages at night in search of rats, a dog of dogs for a ghost. It was a summer night, but chilly, the sky somewhat gloomy and overcast. Still, there was a moon, faint and sickly, but still a, a moon. If the clouds permitted, after midnight, it would be brighter. I reached the house, knocked, my servant opened with a cheerful smile. All right, sir, and very comfortable. Oh, said I, rather disappointed. Have you not seen or heard anything remarkable? Well, sir, I must own I have heard something queer. Uh, what? What? <laughs> the sound of feet pattering behind me, and once or twice small noises like whispers uh, close in my ear. Nothing more. Apparently this high-pitched weird voice I'm doing is the voice of a young boy. That's my attempt, so sorry for that. Are you not at all frightened? I? Oh, not a bit, sir. <laughs> and the man's bold look reassured me uh, on one point. Viz. At one point dash viz, V-I-Z. That, happen what might, it would not desert me. We were in the hall. Uh, street door closed. My attention was now drawn to my dog. He at first ran in eagerly enough, but sneaked back to the door and was scratching and whining to get out. After patting him on the head and encouraging him gently, the dog seemed to reconcile himself to the situation and followed me and F-Dash through the house, uh, keeping close to my heels instead of hurrying inquisitively in advance, which was his usual and normal habit in all strange places. <clears throat> we first visited the subterranean apartments the kitchen, and other offices, and especially the cellars, in which last there were two or three bottles of wine still left in the bin. Yeah, covered by cobwebs and evidently by their appearance undisturbed for many years, it was clear that the ghosts <laughs> were not wine bibbers. <laughs> wine bibbers. Can I look up the word bibbers and see what the heck that's supposed Oh, wine bibbers. A habitual drinker of alcohol. Wine bibbing. Oh, it's Biber. It's pronounced Biber, but it's got two B's. If I see two B's in there, I'm going to pronounce it Bibbers. Sucks to them. For the rest, we discovered nothing of interest. There was a gloomy little backyard with very high walls. Oh, the stones in this yard were very damp. And what with the damp, and what with the dust, 
uh, smoke grime on the pavement, her feet left a slight impression where we passed and now appeared on the first strange phenomenon witnessed by myself in this strange abode. I saw just before me the print of a foot suddenly form itself. As it were, I stopped, caught hold of my servant, and pointed to it. In advance of the footprint was suddenly dropped another. Oh, we both saw it. I advanced quickly to the place. The footprint kept advancing before me. A small footprint, the foot of a child. The impression was too faint and thoroughly to be distinguished the shape, but it seemed to us both that it was the print of a naked foot. This phenomenon ceased when we arrived at the opposite wall, nor did it repeat itself on returning. Uh, We remounted the stairs and entered the rooms on the ground floor, a dining parlor, a small back parlor, and a still smaller third room that had been probably probably appropriated to a footman, all still as death. We then visited the drawing rooms, which seemed fresh and new. In the front room, I seated myself in an armchair, F-dash, placed on the table the candlestick with which he had lighted us, and I told him to, to shut the door. As he turned to do so, a chair opposite me moved from the wall quickly and noiselessly and dropped itself about a yard from my own chair, immediately fronting him. I, uh, this is better than the turning tables, <laughs> said I, half laugh. And as I laughed, my dog put back his head and howled. F-dash, coming back, had not observed the movement of the chair. He employed himself now in stilling the dog. I continued to gaze on the chair and fancied I saw a, a pale blue misty outline of a human figure. But an outline so indistinct that I could only distrust my own vision, the dog now was quiet. Put back that chair opposite to me, I said to F-dash, put it back to the wall. F-dash, obeyed. "'What is it to you, sir?' said he, turning abruptly. "'I, uh, what? "'Why, something struck me, and I felt it sharply on the shoulder, just here.' "'Nope,' said I, "'but we have jugglers present, "'and though we may not discover their tricks, "'we shall catch them uh, before they uh, frighten us.' "'We did not stay long in the drawing rooms. "'In fact, they felt so damp and so chilly "'that I was glad to, to get to the fire upstairs.' We locked the doors of the drawing rooms, a precaution which, I should observe, we had taken with all the rooms we had searched below. The bedroom my servant had selected for me was the best on the floor, a large one with two windows fronting the street. The four-posted bed, which took up no inconsiderable space, was opposite the fire, which burned clear and bright. A door in the wall to the left between the bed and the window communicated with the room which my servant appropriated to himself. Hey, little boy. This was a small room with a sofa bed and had no communication with the landing place, no other door but that which conducted to the bedroom I was to occupy. On either side of my fireplace was a cupboard without locks. This is going to be one of those things where old books love tons of detail. Flushed with the wall and covered with the same dull brown paper. We examined these cupboards, only hooks to suspend female dresses, nothing else. We sounded the walls, evidently solid, the outer walls of the building. Uh, having finished the survey of these apartments, oh my God, he got up. Uh, there's a spot where I've been trying to keep the cat from going behind the walls in the basement, and he just got up there. So hold on a second while I go try to dig him out from the walls. 
And I'm back. Uh, I sent the cat upstairs. He can never come down here again if he's going to keep trying to crawl behind the walls. Who knows what he's going to bring back. Last time, he pulled a dead mouse out of somewhere and brought it all the way upstairs. He was batting it around like a hockey puck. It was disgusting. Oh, where did I leave off? Having finished survey of the apartments, I wore myself by a few moments and lighted my cigar. I then, still accompanied by F-Dash, went forth to complete my reconnoir. In the landing place, there was another door, and it was closed firmly. Uh, Sir, said my servant in surprise, I locked the door uh, with all the others when I first came in. I cannot have got locked from the inside, for it is a dash. Before he had finished his sentence, the door, which neither of us uh, was with touching, uh, burping, opened quietly of itself. We looked at each other a single instant. The same thought seized both. Some human agency might be detected here. I rushed in first. Uh, my servant followed in a small, blank, dreary room without furniture. A few empty boxes and hampers in a corner. A small window, the shutters closed, not even a fireplace. Now the door, but that by which we had entered. No carpet on the floor, and the floor seemed very old. Uneven, worm-eaten, mended here and there, and shown by the whiter patches on the wood, but no living being and no visible place in which a living being could have hidden. As we stood, gazing around, the door by which we had entered closed as quietly as it opened before. We were imprisoned. For the first time, I felt a creep of undefinable horror. Not so my servant. Why, they don't think to trap us, sir. I could break that trumpery door with a kick of my foot. (laughs) I love the way he describes what he's about to do Um, First, uh, try first if it will open to your hand Said I, shaking off the vague apprehension that had seized me While I open the shutters and see what is without I unbarred the shutters The window looked uh, onto the little backyard I had before described There was no ledge without, uh, nothing but sheer descent No man getting out of that window would have found any footing till he had fallen on the stones below. F-Dash, meanwhile, was vainly attempting to open the door. He now turned round to me and asked my permission to use force. (laughs) And I should here state, uh, in justice to the servant, that far from evincing any superstitious terrors, his nerve, uh, composure, and... Even gaiety amidst circumstances so extraordinary compelled my admiration and made me congratulate myself on having secured a companion in every way fitted to the occasion. I willingly gave him permission he required, uh, but though he was a remarkably strong man, his force was as idle as his milder efforts. The door did not even shake to his stoutest kick. Breathless and panting, he desisted. I then tried the door myself, equally in vain. So apparently his firm kick of the foot did nothing. As I ceased from the effort, again that creep of horror came over me, and and this time it was uh, more cold and stubborn. I felt as if some strange ghastly exultation uh, were rising up from the chinks of that rugged floor and filling the atmosphere with a eh, venomous influence in the hostile human life. The door now was slowly and quietly opened of its own accord. We precipitated ourselves into the landing place. We both saw a large pale light, as large as the human figure, eh, but shapeless and insubstantial. 
move before us and ascend the stairs that led from the landing uh, into the attics. I followed the light, and my servant followed me. It entered to the right of the landing, a small garret of which the door stood open. I entered in the same instant. Uh, the light then collapsed into a small globule, uh, exceedingly brilliant and vivid. Uh, rested a moment on a bed in the corner, quivered, and vanished. We approached the bed and examined it. Sorry, there was a, like a, a gnat. I have gnats in my basement. It's the middle of October, and I had to blow on it and get rid of it. This is just the worst recording I think I've ever made. We approached the bed and examined it. A half-tester, such as commonly found in attics devoted to servants. And the drawers that stood near it, we perceived an old faded silk kerchief with the needle still left in a rent half-repaired. The kerchief was covered with that ugh, dust. Probably it had belonged to the old woman who had last died in that house. And this might have been her uh, ugh, sleeping room. I had sufficient curiosity to open the drawers. Uh, there were a few odds and ends of female dress and uh, two letters tied round with a narrow ribbon of faded yellow. I took the liberty to possess myself of the letters. and We found nothing else in the room uh, worth noticing, nor did the light reappear, but we distinctly heard, as we turned to go, a pattering footfall on the floor. Just before us, uh, we went through the other attics, uh, in all four, the footfall still preceding us. Uh, nothing to be seen, nothing but the footfall heard. I had the letters in my hand, and just as I was descending the stairs, I distinctly felt my wrists seized, and a faint, soft effort made to draw the letters from my clasp. Molly held them more tightly, <laughs> and the effort ceased. We regained the bedchamber appropriated myself. <clears throat> I then remarked that my dog had not followed us when we had left it. He was thrusting himself close to the fire and trembling. I was impatient to examine the letters, and while I read them, my servant opened a little box in which he deposited the weapons I had ordered him to bring. Took them out, placed them on a table close at my uh, bed head, and then occupied himself in soothing the dog, who, however, seemed to heed him very little. I love that he's got to put the weapons into a specialized little box and then pull them out later to formally have them ready for bedtime. The uh, letters are short. Uh, they were dated. Uh, the dates exactly 35 years ago. Uh, they were evidently from a lover uh, to his mistress or a uh, uh, husband, uh, so young wife. Uh, not only in the terms of expression, but a distinct reference to a former voyage indicated the writer had been a seafarer. The spelling and handwriting were those of a man imperfectly educated. Uh, but still, the language itself was forcible. In the expressions of the endearment, there was a kind of rough, wild love. Uh, but here and there were burp, dark, unintelligible hints at some secret, not of love, but some secret that seemed of crime. We ought to love each other, was one of the sentences I remember, for how everyone else would execrate us if all was known. Again, don't let anyone be in the same room with you at night. You, you're talking your sleep. And again, uh, what's done can't be undone. This is great love letter material. What's done can't be undone. And I tell you there's nothing uh, against us <clears throat> unless the dead could come to life. Here, there was the underlined, uh, there was underlined in a better handwriting, uh, parentheses of females, they do. 
At the end of the letter, the latest and date of the same female hand was written the words, Lost at sea, 4th of June, the same day as Dash. I put down the letters, uh, began to muse over their contents. Fearing, however, that the train of thought into which I fell might unsteady my nerves, I fully determined to keep my mind in a fit state to cope with whatever a marvelous and advancing night might bring forth. I roused myself, laid the letters on the table, stirred up the fire, which was still bright and cheering, and opened my volume of Macaulay. I read quietly enough till about uh, half past eleven. So this is all within two hours, because then you get done at nine and walk down to this place at nine. So like within an hour and a half, two hours. That's a lot of activity. I then threw myself dressed upon the bed and told my servant he might retire to his own room, but must keep himself awake. He's really bossy. I bade him leave open the door between the two rooms. Thus alone, I kept two candles burning on the table by my bed head. I placed my watch beside the weapons and calmly resumed my Macaulay. Opposite to me, the fire burned clear, and on the hearth rug, seemingly asleep, lay the dog. In about twenty minutes, I left an exceedingly cold air, felt an exceedingly cold air, pass by my cheek like a sudden draught. I fancied the door to my right, communicating with the landing place, must have got open. Yeah, but no, it was closed. I then turned my glance to my left and saw the flame of the candles violently swayed as if by a wind. At the same moment, the watch beside the revolver softly slid from the table. Softly, softly, no visible hand. It was gone. I sprang up, seizing the revolver uh, with the one hand and the dagger with the other. I was not willing that my weapon should share the fate of the watch. Thus armed, I looked round the floor. Uh, no sign of the watch. Uh, three slow, loud, distinct knocks were now heard at the bed head. My servant called out, is that you, sir? No. Be on your guard. Well, the dog now roused himself and sat on his haunches, his ears moving quickly backwards and forwards. He kept his eyes fixed on me with a look so strange that he concentrated all my attention on himself. Slowly, uh, he rose up, his hair bristling, and stood perfectly rigid. With the same wild stare, I had no time, however, to examine the dog. Presently, my servant emerged from his room, and if ever I saw horror in the human face, it was then. Should not have recognized him had we met in the streets. Uh, so altered was every liniment. He passed me by quickly, uh, saying in a whisper that he seemed scarcely to come from his lips, Run! Run! It's after me! He gained the door to the landing, pulled it open, and rushed forth. I followed him into the landing involuntarily, uh, calling him to stop, but without heeding me, he bounded down the stairs, clinging to the bolsters and taking several steps at a time. I heard where I stood. The street door opened, uh, heard it again, clap too. I was left alone in the haunted house. <clears throat> it was but for a moment that I remained undecided whether or not to follow my servant. Pride and curiosity alike forbade so dastardly a flight. I re-entered my room, closing the door after me, and proceeded cautiously into the interior chamber. I encountered eh, nothing to justify my servant's terror. I again carefully examined the walls to see if there was any concealed door. I could find no trace of one, not even a seam in a dull brown paper with which the room was hung. How then uh, uh, had the thing, uh, whatever it was, 
which had so scared him obtained ingress, except through my own chamber. I returned to my room, shut and locked the door that opened upon the interior one, and stood on the hearth, expectant and prepared. I now perceived that the dog had slunk into an angle on the wall and was pressing himself close against it, as if literally trying to force his way into it. I approached the animal and uh, spoke to it. Yeah, the poor brute was evidently beside himself with terror. It showed all its teeth. The slaver, the slaver, huh, dropping from its jaws, it would certainly have bitten me if I had touched it. It did not seem to recognize me, whoever has seen at the zoological gardens of rabbit fascinated by a serpent cowering in a corner may form some idea of the anguish which the dog exhibited, finding all efforts to soothe the animal was in vain, and fearing that his bite might be as venomous as that state, as if it, in the madness of hydrophobia I left him alone and placed my weapons on the table beside the fire, uh, seated myself, and recommenced my Macaulay. Yeah, perhaps, in order not to uh, appear seeking credit for a courage, or rather a, a coolness which the reader may conceive, I exaggerate, I may be pardoned if I pause to indulge in one or two egotistical remarks. <laughs> As I hold presence of mind, or what is called courage, to be precisely proportioned to familiarity with the circumstances that lead to it, I should say that I had been long sufficiently familiar with all experiments that appertain to the marvelous. I had witnessed many very extraordinary phenomena uh, in various parts of the world, phenomena that would be either totally disbelieved if I stated them, or ascribed to supernatural agencies. Uh, now, my theory is that supernatural is the impossible. Uh, that is what is called supernatural is only something in the laws of nature. Uh, this is where he's just going to go off on a big speech what he thinks is supernatural. No one needs this definition, and you're not coming up with anything new. Move on. Therefore, if a ghost rise before me, I have not the right to say, So then, the supernatural is possible. But rather, so then, the apparition of a ghost is contrary to received opinion within the laws of nature, i.e. not supernatural. Now, uh, in all that I had hitherto witnessed, and indeed all the wonders which the uh, amateurs of mystery in our age record as facts, a material living agency is always required. On the uh, continent, you will find still magicians who assert that they can raise spirits. Assume for the moment that they assert truly still the living material form of the magician is present, and he is the material agency by which some of the constitutional peculiarities certain strange phenomena represent to your natural sense. He's sitting here talking about spiritualism, like trying to make a scientific statement about it. Except again, as truthful, the tales of spirit manifestation in America, musical or other sounds, writing on paper, produced by no discernible hand articles. Of I was liking this story up until this moment. Moved without apparent human agency, uh, or the actual sight or touch of hands in which no body seemed to belong, still there might be found uh, the medium or living being with the constitutional peculiarities uh, capable of obtaining these sights. In fine, and all such marvels, supposing that even there is no imposture, there must be a human being like ourselves, uh, by whom or through whom the effects presented to human beings are produced. And so down with that familiar phenomenon of mesmerism or electrobiology, the mind of the person operated on the affected, the, 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 the material living agent, nor supposing true that a mesmerized patient can respond to the will or passes of the mesmer a hundred miles distant, is the response less occasioned by a material being, 
It may be through a material fluid. Ooh, call it electric, call it odic, call it what you will, which has the power of traversing space and passing obstacles and the material effect is communicated from one to the other. Hence, all that I had hitherto witnessed or expected to witness in this strange house I believed to be occasioned through some agency or medium as a mortal of myself, and the idea necessarily prevented that the awe which is who regard as supernatural things are not within the ordinary operations of nature that might have been impressed by the adventures of that memorable night. As then it may, my conjecture... <clears throat> that all that was presented or would be presented to my senses must originate in some human being gifted by the Constitution within the power to so present them. And having some motive to do so, I felt an interest in my theory, which in its way was rather philosophical than superstitious. And I can sincerely say that I was as tranquil a temper and observation as any practical experimentalist could be in waiting for the effects of some of the rare, though perhaps perilous, chemical combination. Of course, the more I kept my mind attached from fancy, the more the temperature fitted with the observation to be obtained, and I therefore riveted an eye and thought on the strong daylight sense of the page of my Macaulay. <clears throat> I now became aware that something interposed between the page and the light. The page was overshadowed. Oh, I looked up, and I saw what I shall find it very difficult, perhaps impossible, to describe. It was a darkness, shaping itself out of the air, in very undefined outline. I cannot say it was of a human form, and yet it had more resemblance uh, to a human form, or rather shadow, than anything else, as it stood wholly apart and distinct from the air and the light around it. Its dimensions seemed gigantic, the summit nearly touching the ceiling. Oh, while I gazed, a feeling of intense cold seized me. An iceberg before me could not have chilled me. <laughs> Nor could the cold of the iceberg have been more purely physical. I feel convinced that it was not the cold caused by fear. As I continued to gaze, I thought, uh, but this I cannot say with precision, that I distinguished uh, two eyes looking down on me from the height. One moment I seemed to distinguish them clearly, uh, and the next they seemed gone. But still two rays of pure, pale blue light frequently shot through the darkness, as from the height of which I half-believed, half-doubted that I had encountered the eyes. I strove to speak. My voice utterly failed me. I could only think to myself, Is this fear? Is this not fear? I strove to rise in vain. I felt as if weighted down by an irresistible force. Indeed, my impression was that of an immense and overwhelming power opposed to my volition. That sense of utter inadequacy to cope with a force beyond men's, which one may feel physically in a storm at sea, in a conflagration, or uh, when confronting some terrible uh, wild beast, or rather perhaps uh, the shark of the ocean, uh, I felt morally... Opposed to my will was another will, as far superior to its strength as a storm, fire, uh, and shark, a superior material force to the force of men. And now, he's really focused on sharks right now, and now, as this impression grew on me, now came at last a horror, horror to a degree that no words can convey. Now still I retained pride, uh, if not courage, and in my own mind I said, uh, this is horror, but it is not fear. Unless I fear, I cannot be harmed. My reason rejects this thing. It is an illusion. I do not fear. With a violent effort, 
I succeeded at last in stretching out my hand toward the weapon on the table. As I did so, on the arm and the shoulder, I received a strange shock, and my arm fell to my side, ah, powerless. And now, to add to my horror, the light began slowly to wane ah, from the candles. They were not, as it were, extinguished, but their flames seemed uh, very gradually withdrawn. It was the same with the fire. The light was extracted from the fuel. In a few minutes, the room was in utter darkness. The dread that came over me uh, to be thus in the dark, with that dark thing uh, whose power was so intensely felt, brought a reaction of nerve. In fact, terror had reached that climax. And either my senses must have deserted me or I must have burst through the spell. I did burst through it. Uh, I found voice. Uh, through the voice was a shriek. I remember that I broke forth the words uh, like these. I do not fear. My soul does not fear. And the same time I found the strength to rise. Still in that profound gloom, I rushed out of one of the windows, uh, tore aside the curtain, and flung open the shutters. My first thought was light. And then I saw the moon high, uh, clear and calm. I felt a joy that almost uh, compensated for the previous terror. There was the moon. There's also the light from the gas lamps and the deserted slumberous street. I turned to look back into the room, and the room penetrated its shadow very palely and partially, but still there was light. Uh, the dark thing, uh, whatever it might be, was gone, except that I could yet see a dim shadow, uh, which seemed the shadow of that shade against the opposite wall. My eye now rested on the table, and from under the table which was without cloth or cover, an old uh, mahogany round table, there rose a hand, visible as far as the wrist. It was a hand, seemingly, as much of uh, flesh and blood as my own, but the hand of an aged person, lean, yeah, wrinkled, gross, small, too, oh, real gross, a woman's hand. That hand, very softly closed on the two letters that lay on the table, Hand and letters both vanished. Uh, then there came to the same three loud-measured knocks I had heard at the bedhead before this extraordinary drama had commenced. As those sounds slowly ceased, I felt the whole room vibrate sensibly, and at the far end of those uh, rose from the floor sparks or uh, globules, like bubbles of light, many colored that uh, green, uh, yellow, ooh, fire red, and azure. Up and down, to and fro, hither, thither, as tiny will-o'-the-wisps, uh, the sparks moved, slower, swift, uh, each at his own caprice. A chair, parentheses, is in the drawing room below, and parentheses, was now advanced from the wall without apparent agency, uh, and placed at the opposite side of the table. Suddenly, as forth from the chair, there grew a shape, a woman's shape. It was distinct as a shape of life, ghastly as a shape of death. Oh, the face was that of youth, with a strange, mournful beauty. Uh, the throat and the shoulders were bare, and the rest of the form in a loose robe of cloudy white. It began sleeking its long yellow hair, which fell over its shoulders. Uh, its eyes were not turned toward me, uh, but to the door. It seemed listening, watching, waiting. The shadow of the shade in the background grew darker, and again I thought I beheld uh, eyes gleaming out from the summit of the shadow, eyes fixed upon that shape. As if from the door, though it did not open, burp, there grew out another shape, equally distinct, equally ghastly. As a man's shape, a young man's. 
is in the dress of the last century, or rather in a likeness of such dress, uh, for both the male shape and the female, though defined, were evidently unsubstantial, impalatable, simulacra, uh, phantasms. And there was something incongruous, grotesque, yet fearful in the contrast between the elaborate finery, the courtly precision of the old-fashioned garb, uh, with its ruffles uh, and lace and mm, buckles, and the corpse-like aspect of the ghost-like stillness in the flitting wearer. Just as the male shape approached the female, the dark shadows started from the wall, and all three for a moment wrapped in darkness. Then the pale light, he's having like this whole show happen right before him in this one little window. When the pale light returned, uh, yeah, the two phantoms were as if in the grasp of the shadow that towered between them, and there was a blood stain ooh, on the breast of the female, and the phantom male was leaning on the phantom sword, and the blood seemed trickling fast from the ruffles. For the lace and the darkness of the intermediate shadow swallowed them up. And then they were gone. And again the bubbles of light shot and sailed and undulated, growing thicker and thicker and more wildly confused in their movements. The closet door uh, to the right of the fireplace now opened. He could see a lot from this window. And from the aperture there came the form of a woman, aged. In her hand, ah, she held letters. The very letters over which I had seen the hand close, and behind her I heard a, a footstep. Uh, she turned around <clears throat> as if to listen. Then she opened the letters and seemed to read. Over her shoulder I saw a livid face, the, the face of a man long drowned, bloated, bleached seaweed tangled in his dripping hair, and at her feet lay a form as of a corpse, and beside that corpse there cowered a child, a miserable, squalid child with famine in its cheeks and fear in its eyes. And as I looked in the old woman's face, the wrinkles and lines uh, vanished, and it became a, a face of youth, oh, hard-eyed, stony, but still youth, and the shadow darted forth and darkened over these phantoms as it had darkened over the last. It's, okay, this is just getting weird. Nothing now was left but the shadow, uh, and on that my eyes were intently fixed, till again the eyes grew out of the shadow, malignant serpent eyes, and the bubbles of the light arose again and fell, and in their disordered irregular turbulent maze mingled with the wan moonlight, and now from these globules themselves, as from the shell of an egg, monstrous things burst out, and the air grew filled with them, larvae so bloodless and so hideous that I can in no way describe them except to remind the reader of the swarming of life which the solar microscope brings before his eyes in a drop of water. Things transparent, supple, agile, chasing each other, ah, devouring each other. It forms like not ever beheld by the naked eye. As the shapes were without symmetry, so their movements were without order. In the very vagrancies, there was no sport. They came round to me and round, thicker and faster and swifter, swarming over my head, crawling over my right arm, which was outstretched in voluntary command against all evil beings. Sometimes I felt myself touched, eh, but not by them. Invisible hands touched me. Once I felt a clutch of uh, cold, soft fingers at my throat. I was still equally uh, conscious that if I gave away to fear, I should be uh, in bodily peril, and I concentrated all my faculties in the single focus of resisting stubborn will. And I turned my sight from the shadow, above all, from those strange serpent eyes, eyes that had now become distinctly visible, for there, through the naught else around me, I was aware that there was a will, and a will 
of intense, uh, creative, working evil, which might crush down my own. The pale atmosphere in the room began to redden as if the air, this has got to wrap up, of some near conflagration. The best part of the story already happened. And now we're just having to deal with this weird, like, laser light show for people that want to get high and watch something cool. The larvae grew lurid as things that live in the fire. Again, the room vibrated. Again, were heard the three measured knocks. And again, all things were swallowed up in the darkness of the dark shadow, as if out of the darkness all had come into that darkness and all had returned. As the gloom receded, the shadow was wholly gone. Slowly, as it had been withdrawn, the flame grew again into the candles on the table, again into the fuel in the grate, and the whole room came once more calmly, healthfully into sight. Ah, the two doors were still closed. The door communicating with the servant's room was still locked, and in the corner of the wall into which he had so convulsively niched himself lay the dog. I thought he was standing outside, or was he in the room the whole time? I called to him. No movement. I approached. The animal was dead. His eyes uh, protruded. His tongue out of his mouth. The froth gathered round his jaws. I took him in my arms, brought him to the fire, and I felt acute grief for the loss of my poor favorite. Acute self-reproach. I accused myself of his death. I imagined he had died of fright. But what was my surprise on finding that his neck was actually broken, actually twisted out of the vertebrae? Had this been done in the dark? Uh, must it not have been by a hand, human as mine? Must there not have been a human agency all the while in that room? Good cause to suspect it. I cannot tell. I cannot do more than state the fact fairly. The reader may draw his own inference. Another surprising circumstance. Oh, God, the story will never end. My watch was restored to the table uh, for which he had been so mysteriously drawn. So I guess he never left the room. I thought he was standing on the street looking up through the window. But it had stopped at the moment that it was so withdrawn, nor, despite of the skill of the watchmaker, has it ever gone since. That is, it will go into a strange erratic wave for a few hours, and then comes a dead stop. It is worthless. Nothing more chanced for the rest of the night, nor indeed had I longed to wait before the dawn broke. Not till it was broad daylight did I quit the haunted house. Before I did so, I revisited the little blind room in which my servant and myself had been for a time imprisoned. I had a strong impression for which I could not account, that that room had originated the mechanism of the phenomena, <clears throat> if I may use the term, which had been experienced in my chamber. And though I entered it now in the clear day with the sun peering through the flimsy window, I still felt, uh, as I stood at the floor, uh, the creep of horror which I had first experienced the night before, which had been so aggravated that I had passed into my own chamber. Uh, I could not, indeed, bear to stay more than half a minute within these walls. I descended the stairs, and again I heard the footfall before me. And when I opened the street door, I thought I could distinguish a very low laugh. I gained my own home, expecting to find uh, my runway servant there, my runaway servant there, but he had not presented himself, nor did I hear more of him for three days when I received a letter from him, dated from Liverpool, to this effect. Honored sir! I humbly entreat your pardon, though I can scarcely hope that you will think I deserve it. Unless, uh, which heaven forbid, you saw what I did. I feel that it will be years before I can recover myself, and as to being fit for service, it is out of the question. I am, therefore, uh, going to my brother-in-law in Melbourne. 
Now the ship sails tomorrow. Perhaps a long voyage may set me up. I do nothing now but start and tremble and fancy it is behind me. I humbly beg you, honored sir, uh, to order my clothes and uh, whatever wages are due to me uh, to be sent to my mother's at Walworth. John uh, knows her address. The letter ended with the additional apologies, somewhat incoherent and explanatory details to the effects which have been under the writer's charge. This flight may perhaps warrant a suspicion that the man wished to go to Australia and had been somehow to the other fraudulently mixed up in the events of the night. I say nothing in refutation of that conjecture. Rather, I suggest it is one that would seem to many persons the most probable solution of the improbable occurrences. My own theory remained unshaken. I returned the evening to the house to bring away the hack cab, uh, the things that I had left there with my poor dog's body. In this task, I was not disturbed, nor did any incident worth note befall me, except that still on ascending and descending the stairs, uh, I heard the same footfall in advance. On leaving the house, I went to Mr. Jade Ashes. Uh, he was home. I returned him the keys, told him that my curiosity was sufficiently gratified. And was about to relate quickly uh, what had passed when he stopped me, and he said, uh, through much politeness, that he had no longer any interest in a mystery which none had ever solved. I determined at least to tell him of the two letters I had read, as well as of the extraordinary manner in which they had disappeared, and then I inquired if he thought that they had been addressed to the woman who had died in the house, and if they were anything in her early history which could possibly confirm the dark suspicion to which the letters give rise. Mr. J. Dash uh, seemed startled, and after musing a few moments, answered, I know, uh, but little of the woman's earlier history, uh, except, as I told you before, that her family uh, were known to mine. Uh, you may revive some vague reminiscence to her prejudice. Uh, I will make inquiries and inform you of the result. Still, even if we could admit the popular superstition that a person who had been either the proprietor or the victim of the dark crimes in life could revisit as a restless spirit the scene in which those crimes had never been committed, I should observe that the house was infested by strange sights and sounds before the old woman died. Uh, you smile. Uh, what would you say? My God, this story's never going to end. I would say this. I am convinced if we could get back to the bottom of these mysteries, we should find a living human agency. What? You believe it's all an imposture? For what object? Not an imposture in the ordinary sense of the word. If suddenly I were to sink into a deep sleep from which you could not awake me, but in that sleep could answer questions with an accuracy for which I could not pretend when I was awake, tell you what money you had in your pocket, nay, describe your very thoughts... It is not necessarily uh, an imposture any more than it is necessarily supernatural. I should be, unconsciously to myself, under a mesmeric influence conveyed to me from a distance by a human being who had acquired power over me uh, by previous report. Oh my God, this is going nowhere. Granting mesmerism so far carried to be, in fact, you are right, and you would infer that from that, a mesmer might produce the extraordinary effects on you. And oh God, now they're speculating about mesmerism. Fill the air with sights and sounds, or impress our senses with the belief in them. Uh, we never having been in rapport with a person acting upon us? No. What is commonly called mesmerism uh, could not do this. But there may be a power akin to mesmerism, the superior to it, the power that in the old days was called magic. That such a power may extend to all inanimate objects of matter, I do not say. But if so, 
Uh, it would not be against nature, only a rare power in nature, uh, which might be given to constitutions with certain peculiarities, and cultivated by practice to an extraordinary degree. Uh, such a power may extend over the dead, that is, over certain thoughts and memories that the dead may still retain, and compel not only that which might be... He's trying to speculate on the nature of ghosts and how mesmerism causes it. This is killing me. And uh, called the soul. Oh, now he's going <laughs> to go on about the soul which is far beyond human reach, but rather a phantom of that which has most earth-stained on the earth. Uh, to make itself apparent to our senses is a very ancient, though obsolete, theory, upon which I will hazard no opinion, but I do not conceive the power would be supernatural. Uh, let me illustrate what I mean from an experiment in which Persilius describes as not difficult, in which the author of the Curiosities of Literature cites as credible, a flower perishes, you burn it, whatever the elements of that flower are, while it's lived or gone, dispersed, and you know not whither, and you can never discover and recollect them, but you can, by chemistry, out and burn the dust off the flower, raise the spectrum of the flower, and as it seemed in life, in the same with a human being. Now, the soul has so much escaped as the essence, the elements of the flower, still you may find a spectrum to it, and this phantom, though in the popular superstition is held to the soul of the departed, you may not be confounded with the true soul, but the alien of the dead form. Hence, like the best attested stories of the ghosts and spirits, and the thing that most strikes us in absence will be a hold of the soul. That is, of superior and insane intelligence, or that they come with little or no object. They seldom speak, and if they do come, they utter no ideas above what an ordinary person on earth. These American spirit seers have published volumes of communications in prose and verse in which they assert to be given the names of the most illustrious dead Shakespeare, Bacon, heaven knows whom. Those communications, taking the best, are certainly not a whit of higher order than would be the communications of a living person for the talent and education. They are wondrously inferior to that of the Bacon, Shakespeare, and the Plato, and the Road of on Earth. Nor, what is more notable, do they ever contain an idea which is not worth it before, wonderful, therefore, in such phenomena that granting them to be truthful, I may have a philosophy that with the question of... I'm going crazy. I persuaded that these are agencies conceived by electric wires to my own brain. <laughs> it just goes on and on. I'm at, for the first time, I'm actually skipping over a story. You know, there's a natural fluid called electricity, and these produce electric wonders. Now, uh, well observed, no person's experience exactly the same dream. This is an ordinary posture. The machinery would be arranged for the results. It would be a little variable. Supernatural. These phenomena belong to neither class. My persuasion is that they originate in some brain now far distant. That the brain, ha this is where the brain comes in. So there's a big brain causing magic. That the brain has no distinct volition in anything that occurred. And what does occur reflects with its devious, motley, ever-shifting, half-formed thoughts. In short, that it has been but the dreams of such a brain to put in action and invest it in the substances. Ugh, this brain is of no immense power that it can set matter into movement that is manipulative and destructive, and I believe some material force must have killed my dog. It might, for aught I know, have suffered to kill us myself, and I have been subjugated by terror as the dog that had my intellect for my spirit, giving me no countervailing resistance in my will. It killed your dog? Oh, that's fearful indeed. It is strange to know. Animal can be induced to stay in the house. Not even a, not even a cat. Rats and mice are never found in it. The instincts of the brute creation detect influences deadly to their existence. Man's reason has a sense less subtle because it has a resisting power more supreme, but enough. Do you comprehend my theory? Sure. Yes, though imperfectly, and I would accept any crochet, uh, pardon the word, however odd, rather than embrace at once the notion of ghosts and hobgoblins that we imbibed in our nursery. Still, to my fortunate house, the evil is the same. Well, what on earth can I do with the house? 
I love that he doesn't want to embrace the concept of ghosts, but a big brain is causing it. And that makes more sense. It's more scientific. Oh, God. I will tell you what I would do. I am convinced from my own internal feelings that the small unfurnished room at the right angles to the door of the bedroom which I occupied forms a starting point or a receptacle for the influences which haunt the house. And I strongly advise you to have the walls open, the floor removed, nay, uh, the whole room pulled down. Uh, I observe that it is detached from the body of the house, built over the small backyard, and could be removed without any injury to the rest of the building. Uh, uh, you think... If I did that, Big Dash, you would cut off the telegraph wires. Try it. I'm so persuaded that I'm right uh, that I'll pay half the expenses if you'll allow me to direct the operations. Nay, I am well able to afford the cost. For the rest, allow me to write to you. About ten days afterwards, I received a letter from Mr. J telling me that he had visited the house since I had seen him and that he had found the two letters. Uh, I had described, replaced in the drawer from which I had taken them, and that he had read them with misgivings like my own. That he had instituted uh, a cautious inquiry about the woman whom I rightly conjectured they had been written, and it seemed that 36 years ago, a year before the date of the letters, uh, she had married against the wish of her relatives an American of very suspicious character. Uh, in fact, he was generally believed uh, to have been a pirate. She herself was the daughter of very respectable tradespeople and had served in the capacity of a nursery governess before her marriage. Uh, she had a brother, a widower, who was considered wealthy and who had one child about six years old. A month after marriage, uh, the body of this brother was found in the Thames near London uh, Bridge. There seemed to be some marks of violence about his, uh, about his throat, but they were not deemed sufficient to warn the inquest of any other verdict than that of found drowned. The American and his wife took charge of the little boy, uh, the deceased brother, having by his will left the sister the guardian of his only child, and in the event of the child's death, uh, the sister inherited. The child died about six months afterwards. He was supposed to have been neglected and ill-treated. The neighbors disposed to have heard, a, heard it shriek at night, and the surgeon who had examined it after death said that it was emaciated, as if from want of nourishment, and the body was covered with livid bruises. It seemed that one winter night the child had sought to escape, crept out into the backyard, uh, tried to scale the wall, uh, fallen back exhausted, and been found in a morning on the stones in a uh, dying state. But though there was some evidence of cruelty, there was none of murder, and the aunt and her husband had sought to palliate the cruelty by alleging the exceeding stubbornness and perversity of the child who was uh, declared to be half-witted. Be that as it may, at the orphan's death, the aunt inherited her brother's fortune. Before the first wedded year was out, the American quitted England abruptly and never returned to it. He obtained a cruising vessel, which had lost in the Atlantic two years afterwards. The widow was left in affluence, but reverses of various kinds had befallen her. Uh, a bank broke, an investment failed, and she went into small business and became insolvent. And then she... Entered into service, sinking lower and lower from housekeeper down to maid of all work, never long retaining a place, though nothing peculiar against her character was ever alleged. She was considered uh, sober, honest, and peculiarly quiet in her ways. Still nothing prospered with her, and so she had dropped into the workhouse from which Mr. J-Dash had taken her, 
to be placed in charge of the very house uh, which she had rented as a mistress in the first year of her wedded life. And Mr. J. Dash added that he had passed an hour alone in the unfurnished room which I had urged him to destroy, and that his impressions of dread while there were so great, though he had uh, neither heard nor seen anything, that he was eager uh, to have the walls barred and the floors removed, as I had suggested, and he had engaged persons for the work which would commence any day I would name. This story will not end. How much is left to this story? This is crazy to me. Oof. Let's take a look-see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. 20 pages, 21, 22, 20. Oh my God. What, what else can be said about this story? This is horrible. Well, we're just going to have to make this a two-parter because I'm burnt out and I'm kind of done with this story, but damn it, I got to finish what I started. So with that, I hope you enjoyed part one of uh, Blah Blah Blah. And uh, I guess I will... Try to finish it up in part two. Thanks for listening.